or she's just gonna come in a come in in a like a, a, a suit with a breath mask and Darth Hi, nope. Darth Hightower. <laughs> nope. <laughs> <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Vassals of Kingsgrave and we are Wolfcast. Aroo! We will be, well we are, vassals who are typically in Europe but also with our friends from the US on occasion. Here to discuss House of the Dragons episode, House of the Dragon episode 6, titled The Princess and the Queen. So highly anticipated because it had the cast change. And it also has the title of one of the original short stories that this is based upon. And we could potentially spoil anything in George R. R. Martin's work, but we will not be spoiling Game of Thrones beyond where it surpassed in the Song of Ice and Fire series. So if you stopped watching and don't want to be spoiled for that, you are in safe company. My name is Bina007. I'll be your host today. I'm also one of the curators on Vassals of Kingsgrave. As you've probably figured out, if you're a new listener, from the ever-rolling, changing number of presenters, uh, we are a community-hosted podcast, which means that we gather um, and form and assemble to discuss whatever we find interesting in the moment. Um, there's a usual rotation of people, but we have got a couple of us who are titled curators, and all that means is that we have oversight of all the content, usually do a lot of the editing, and insofar as... Um, there's any policy to be set where the guy's doing that and I think it's fair to say that we've got a good spread over regions continents age bands and hopefully when people join the podcast I joined back in 2012 when it started and we have newer members too so we thought what we might do is do something we used to do back in the day which was introduce um, the people who are hosting the podcast um, let them tell you a bit about how they got into A Song of Ice and Fire and George R.R. Martin and who their favourite character is. We're not going to do everyone because that will take forever, but we will rotate round in the next couple of episodes. So today I'm going to start off with Mary and then Patrick the Tall, who are both curators on Vassals of Kingsgrave. So over to you, Mary. How did you get into George R.R. Martin and find this podcast? And who um, is your favourite character in the world? So not just Game of Thrones, but in the entire world of George R.R. Martin, including this show. Oh, damn. I forgot that we used to ask that question. And that's the worst question ever, right? Um, and, and I haven't thought about it in years. So um, I'm Mary. Uh, I'm from France. I got into the books when the show started. I, I, I think I, I was like, I, I don't want to watch that uh, Game of Thrones show if I haven't read the books first. So I got into the books. And then I found out about VOK through a friend of mine who used to listen to you guys and just sent me an episode. And I was like, these people are cool. And I was in uh, 2016. So uh, I joined the group uh, eventually and started hosting uh, as well and chatting with all of you nerds <laughs> about basically everything. My favorite character. Oh, God. Um, this is really hard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, this is well, we can do a couple. We can do a couple. Okay, I can do one from uh, Song of Ice and Fire and one from House of the Dragon because I feel like that's the characters we are invested in uh, at this moment. Game of Thrones. I'm gonna go with Sansa, and I'm gonna remind everyone that I I haven't seen the show, <laughs> so my view of her is purely a uh, book based. And from House of the Dragon, I'm gonna go, okay, my heart wants to say Damon, but my brain is like, no, he's, he's too fucked up to be actually your favorite character. So I'm gonna go with Lena, who we've seen this week and who's awesome. Uh, and I'm sad that we don't get more time with her. And that's it for me. Yeah, she was very badass. Okay, then over to you, Patrick. It starts, started with the buzz starting to grow about Game of Thrones. I, I wasn't a book reader before the show. I got into the series. I watched the first episode like five times before uh, the other one got, got out. When the first season ended, I was begging for more. So I um, got all the books. I ran through them and, and very close after the, the Dance of the Dragons came out as well. So... I didn't have much weight at all. 
but then I was done with that. So I needed someone to s s some some community because I was the only one who's read all the books. So uh, I ended up uh, listening to a podcast of Ice and Fire, and um, and through them I learned of a of a, of a subsection of of nerds that when. The Game of Thrones season two came around. Seemed to be very open to uh, to new members, and uh, I tried to put my name into the hat, and Bina accepted my application. So, so that's how I got into it. And um, my favorite characters are, and I will do one for each of the the three works. So I'll do Victorian for Game of Thrones. I'll do Duncan the Tall. So Duncan the Tall. From a Duncan A. <laughs> uh, I'll do from here, Harwin Strong, RIP. Well, I can confirm to the listener that Patrick is both actually very tall in real life and a Viking. <laughs> and very into his... Grey Joy, which is an issue uh, in an, <laughs> in itself. But that's right. I would have been shocked. So I would have been shocked if he didn't say Victorian. <laughs> he so, from used to like Victorian. I'm trying to think back in the old days. Um, well, he certainly yeah. wasn't a very good person, a very level-headed and logical person, definitely. <laughs> Victorian, so, loving. Uh, <laughs> not really. I was saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> both, both, of course. Um, oh, yeah. So that's it. That's cool. me. Great. And Patrick's coming broadcasting from Denmark, which shows you just how international a group we are. So anyway, let's get into this week's episode, The Princess and the Queen, sixth in the series, first of the recast. I'm going to go around and ask for your lemon cake ratings and whether you liked it or didn't like it relative to others so far. So in order of who's on my screen, let's start with David HHH. That's a tough one. I'm not sure on this one because it's weird because it wasn't like a lot happened, but a lot didn't happen. And there was a lot of confusion going on about like who was who and what was what, even having read the books. I'm going to give it three and a half masturbating Targaryens <laughs> out of five. Ooh, and we'll get into whether that was even necessary. <laughs> yeah, right. over to you. Michael, how about you? Yeah, I'd give this a four out of five. I liked the transition to the new actors. They really uh, filled in the roles very well. Uh, a lot did happen in this episode, and I'm still trying to process it. I was surprised how unlikable Alicent became in this episode, and... I think that is something interesting to discuss. And I'm also just, yeah, sort of a bit stunned by the, the, the rapid turn of events and people dying. Yeah, I think I'm with you, Michael. I kind of overall did like it, but I found a lot of it quite rushed. And I don't know. I think I'll have to judge this one after I've seen other ones. Like, it just feels there's so much new. It's almost too seen kind of get my bearings on it. But there were problems. Number one, the exploitative depiction of birth I felt went too far the masturbating Targaryens unnecessary a lot of it just felt like I, I'm not sure what you're trying to do with this um, maybe maybe lower than you then maybe more like a three I think um, Jock how about you um, yeah I'd probably give it a four out of five I'm not too fan of how dreary it's getting was kind of hoping in the adaptation they would have made up some um, more um, humorous scenes or something just to keep the tone a bit lighter than um, Martin's world uh, kind of allows for. Other than that, quite a bit of death. Nice to see the curse of Harren all in action. Yeah, I mean, it's maybe they thought the masturbating Targaryen kid was the comic relief. I don't know, but you're right. This, this <laughs> yeah. is very door. And so, yeah. so is Rings of Power. Neither of them actually have much wit or lightness. We we miss that Jamie Lannister, Tyrion Lannister, and even, I guess, Arya Stark at times mischief. Um, Mary, over to you. I'm, I'm going to go with 4.5 lemon cakes uh, and not masturbating Targaryens because I'm against that uh, new uh, way of counting's, um, counting. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, 4.5, I really liked it. It was rushed and a lot of, a, a lot of things happened, but it didn't uh, bother me like it did uh, last week where I couldn't understand the implications for the characters. In, in this episode, we get a lot of things, but we also get very interesting moments about um, a, f a few of these characters. So so that, that works for me. I thought they all got into their roles quite well. Uh, we have so many children we have to keep track of, but 
Like yeah. it, it, I, I like it that they didn't shy away from the number of um, characters in this story, you know. So uh, there, there's still a few of them uh, who have to appear yet, but um, it, it's good. They could, they could is easily have cut a few and just. Um, I mean, I know they all die terrible death that they want to show one by one probably but still they could they could have introduced them and uh, not all at the same time or cut some some of them um and they didn't which i appreciate even if we don't have Daron yet uh, the fourth uh, kid uh, of um viserys and Alicent. anyway um i'm gonna need uh, I'm, I'm throwing that out there i'm gonna need uh, a chart of what the different dragons look like because i'm never gonna be able to tell them apart um like and i recognize faces easily enough but the dragons are another thing so help me with that yes i i really liked it well that's great it's good that we're getting a range of views patrick over to you i'm happier this day than i was last week it it's less game of thrones and more its own which is good i think I get a feeling that this more th- feels like a thriller in some in some sense. Like I feel like I I I feel angst for every episode and for all the characters that I'm now seeing, all the children. I, I if you don't know, guys, I do not enjoy violence against children. So maybe I shouldn't watch this series, but it fills me with angst to see all these kids who has to somehow you know at some point die. Or well, spoilers, but I enjoy the 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 show in, in itself. I think there's some stupid things like him, him whacking off. I don't know why. So I'll go middle of the road, but slightly above uh, this time. So a three point five. Okay, so we're in that three point five to four point five range still. Uh, Hannah, over to you. I'll give it a four. I did really like it. I stick by what I've been saying the whole time, and I kind of just wish that the series had had. A lengthy prologue. I feel like we should have started episode one with last week's episode. This should have been episode two. I think that the pacing of both of these episodes is so much better. And it and it does read, Patrick, like you said, a bit of a thriller. There's a lot of really good tension and presented without it being straight up like horror. I really like the the subtleties that are being thrown in the mix. I do love both of the actresses that are playing the aged up Rhaenyra and Alicent. I think they're brilliant and their performances are inspired so far. I really love some of the imagery that we've seen with Viserys and how slowly his body deteriorates and it's mirrored in the way his reign his legacy and his family are deteriorating and he's just sort of it struck me on this episode are they sort of making him this jolly old you know smiling man and he's got this skin in his hand when he's watching them over the yard and I thought oh is that like milk of the poppy so he's just sort of like this rosy cheat smiling now addict basically who can't even see his own addiction let alone his missteps and things um and he's ignoring all these dangers and then that that moment where he looks up and sees the rat along the mantle i i just i love that it sort of just all narrowed in for him and that realization of like well fuck kind of and i'd like to see how that plays out in the in the coming episodes um i do like helena i thought that she was well cast and i liked the just the throwaway line of he'll have to close an eye if he wants a dragon like i was like ah that's amazing (laughs) that's the kind of stuff we love but i think uh with as far as like being able to keep up with the characters i'm getting it but i think where people are struggling is game of thrones actually by this time in the series that main series had way way more uh supporting and leading actors on screen but i think they were easier to keep track of because they were all they're in the riverlands they're in the Erie, they're in king's landing they're across the narrow sea they're in the north we don't really have that benefit here it's all very insular so i think they tend to get mixed up but i'm liking the series a lot more these last two episodes and i'm excited to see the next one i was gonna say that's your highest rating yet isn't it hannah actually i gave last week's a 4.5 okay you're right okay yeah but i was on dragon cast so it doesn't count (laughs) in general we got a range 3.5 going up into the high fours i mean it's 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 not a bad episode i think we have questions there's a lot that's new a lot that's happened so maybe it needs to settle 
as Michael said, maybe we need to digest. Um, so much happened. And thanks to the tool for compiling some show notes on how we get through this. I think we'll start by clearing away what goes on in Pentos first, though, because the rest is all around the princess and the queen. And this is the, the sort of the extraneous storyline is between Damon and his bride, Lena, who as the show opens, is pregnant. And then we're going to see, well, really, it, this whole episode is all about mothers and childbirth. And I read an interview with the showrunner who said it's about childbirth as being part of the, the battleground for these women and how they do or don't have agency and control political power, which I thought was really interesting. She is about to give birth. I don't know if it's a breech baby or whatever, but the maester can't get the baby out without sacrificing her life. And she decides that unlike Emma, that we saw in episode one, that she is going to take control of her own destiny. And she goes down and asks her dragon to scorch her and indeed her unborn child on fire, which is in, on one sense, it's a badass decision. On the other hand, the child goes with her, which I thought was a little bit harsh. How did you all find the events of Pentos? And also the fact that, you know, Dama is offered to basically be an almost a mercenary dragon rider for the rulers of Pentos in their, their sort of war with other members of, of that part of the world. Um, and she she seems to be the one with the sort of the dragon rider pride and, and I would say Valerian pride, but Targaryen pride saying, is this really what we're reduced to? Is this what you want to do? So she just comes across as a total boss lady. But how do you feel about her character, how it varies to the book and, and the decision she makes at the end? So the first thing I thought about this is that I think it's also not just for her, but for Damon, it's an interesting character choice that he gets the same decision to make that uh, Viserion did uh, last week. Or not, I mean, what, four, five weeks ago, where he has to decide, do I go for the kid or do I let my wife die? And he, he makes what I would think is a surprising decision, given that, you know, he's being set up as kind of the villain here. And, you know, in the whole series so far, that he makes the decision to spare his wife. He can't do that. And I and I thought that was an, a really cool choice, especially since, you know, we get little hints in this episode that maybe it wasn't, you know, going as well as he'd hoped and everything. So that, you know, for her, for him to make that decision and then her to make the decision she did, which was pretty badass, yet depressing as all fuck. But, you know, I, I, I thought there was some nice character choices there all around. And we'll see where that leads us in the future. I mean, yeah, that episode definitely, and that scene specifically, it, it definitely uh, helped to rehumanize uh, Damon a bit. Um, I'm I'm not sure he actually made the decision. The, the way I, I I read the scene was that yeah he would have gone for the yeah no you're not gonna cut into my wife but he didn't really have the time because she just left the room uh, because she was hearing this conversation but maybe I was just uh, not concentrated enough and and uh, and he did choose but in any case um, I think I think um, I thought the same as you Bina that it might be perceived as uh, a little bit selfish from her part to commit suicide by Dracarys with the child. So I think the implication was that this baby was probably not going to survive either. And I guess I would also point out, or I would also, something that has been raised is whenever you have this sort of, is it the mum or the child decision that's framed in these pregnancy dramas and many other shows, the mother's always like, no, save my child, save my child. But I think a mother has every right to say, no, fucking save me, you know, I want to live. <laughs> 100%. Yes, she wasn't making the choice to live. She was choosing to go out her own way. But yeah. As a mother, I'll weigh in and I will say that if you knew for a fact that baby was not going to survive, but there was a chance for you to, that would be the only circumstance that I could see a mother not instinctually saying, no, do whatever you can for the baby. Yeah, because you've got the other kids to mother and parents. Unfortunately, in right. this world, that's not a choice. That's not. There's no. There's no procedure to be offered to allow for that. And the way I read Damon's reaction was taking in the information, and he turns to her, and he does. He like almost shakes his head, but he doesn't shake his head. And I think it's the way I read the performance was. I. That's not a choice I can make. I like. I'm refusing to make that choice. Then he mm -hmm. turns to her, and 
I I could see how, um, you know, I delivered a, a pretty large baby with no drugs, completely natural. I could see how you're really not in your right mind making good choices, though, in that kind of pain. <laughs> Um, yeah, exactly. You, you get a wider if you're about to or going through or have just been through childbirth, I feel. It's kind of funny, actually, because I was really criticizing just the gnarliness of the opening scene. And is it necessary? Is it explosive? But maybe I'm changing my mind after what you've said, Hannah, because I just think all these historical dramas I watch and these books on history that I love, so many of them are driven by inheritance and, you know, has such and such guy managed to have a son. And it's all very antiseptic, isn't it? And very sort of removed from the reality of the women who are in the crosshairs, have very little to gain, but everything to lose from what they're doing. This sort of thankless pain medicationless task that they're given. So maybe my my sort of instinctive revulsion to seeing it is is kind of exactly what they're trying to counter and say, look, this is the reality of this. This is the reality of Henry VIII and his wives. This is the reality of, of what it was and probably is for a lot of mothers. So um, I'm coming around to the idea, actually, that this was a really bold choice. Um, I, yeah. I, I think she must have thought that she died. She was going to die. Honestly, otherwise, the decision is selfish, but not for the reasons that you think. I think for the for the, the two daughters uh, that are still left, because they are... She the uh, the youngest told him uh, told told her that that Damon isn't really you know present in in her, her life and uh, there's no expect I don't expect them him to you know become a better person all of a sudden although he has improved a little in his care for for her and the the wife if she didn't wholeheartedly believe that she was going to die then it was a bit of a selfish decision to do to make so the way i'm going to read this is that he knows she's going to die and she was at court when emma had balon so he knows what went down at least somewhere she's aware of the fact that they did this barbaric procedure and the baby did not live and perhaps in that moment of looking at damon and knowing all the things that he is and isn't she decided it would be best for the child to remain with her than to grow up potentially with severe deficits in this world with him as a father. At least she knows that her other girls are grown enough to be somewhat self-sufficient, regardless of whatever Damon's actions and reactions are to her death going forward. I mean, I don't know that all of that went, in, went, uh, went through her head while uh... She was making that decision, but to to clarify just my thinking, I had the thought that yeah, she kills herself and her child, but I wouldn't conclude that it was selfish. That's not my like. I had the thought, but that's not uh, what I would uh, go uh, with uh, at, at the end of my thinking. Is it was very a very tragic scene, um, and and I agree. I think she 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 decided to take it back into her hands and she didn't see any other choice uh, and she preferred to die that way which i completely respect on the on the girls i actually um i liked the fact that in just a few scenes we get a bit of the personalities and how Bela is feeling neglected by damon because she uh, because her dragon hasn't hatched um and that like the dragons are a big theme obviously in the show but in this specific episode as well like we can see how they represent power and all of the kids want want them and not just because ooh it's a nice pet to have because it clearly isn't isn't but because it sets them apart and they don't feel as powerful and without so I like I like that they they did that with these two girls as, as well uh, in power of the boys in King, in King's Landing. Yeah, I mean I have to say I think if there's any chance the child could have been saved, I still think this is a selfish way to go. I know that comes across as really judgmental. Um, I don't believe a mother's life should be sacrificed before a child's, but if there's a chance the child can survive, then they should have um, done a C-section. But there you go. Maybe that's not a good thing to say these days in this heightened political climate. Um, let's get into the whole Pentos politics of it. So, you know, they made a deal. Damon is considering taking it. He he seems really lost in this episode, actually, and really kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say impotent, because obviously 
very loaded in his case. But he, he just seems <laughs> very not. anonymous, you know, from this boisterous kind of mm. punk that we saw in the early episodes. He just seems really subdued. Um, how do you feel about the political deal that's being offered? Is or, or are we just meant to see it as another example about of how Lena is a boss rather than to get too worried about the the intricacies of it? Oh, I think it's. I think it was a good deal. Honestly, I think a lot of things would have gone differently if he'd taken that deal. So I think it's. I think it's. It's fair to say that that the whole the dragon wants what it wants mentality that that Lena is in a higher de- higher amount showing it's, it needs to be there for for the show to go on but but it also shows that well he's much older he had he has had the craving to ride out and show his worth several times and, and has been rebutted every single time for for it he, he has he's not gained the the love his of his brother or anyone from his his deeds i think he's just broken when you're a broken man where you still have something that you enjoy some some aspects of your life that you find great i think i think he's as content as you think he can be in this situation yeah it's quite literally pathetic like i felt the pathos of it you know i think broken is a good word for it i don't know i think he probably should have taken the deal but we know what comes after they don't <laughs> what do the rest of you think anyone anyone think lena was right um i do actually <laughs> I, we we know what's going to happen so obviously we we know he's not going to uh, bring very good things to 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 the whole thing but I mean, in the this uh, complete alternate history where Lena doesn't die and they choose to go back to uh, Westeros and to play their part into whatever's going going on over there, presumably he she doesn't die. He doesn't marry Rhaenyra. I don't know what's different from there. But for him, the choice to stay in Pentos, he would have been too bored at some point and just. It wouldn't have worked uh, long term, so I don't think that was such a good option for them. It reminds me of the alternate scenario in uh, Game of Thrones with Sansa going to marry Willis Tyrell. And like we could assume that Sansa would have been happy in that marriage if it had ever happened, but she probably wouldn't have developed as a character. She would have just remained static and not particularly interesting in terms of a story and i think the same thing would have happened to damon he would have just remained static and not done the things that he's going to do in this story mm-hmm. i'm also not sure if that that would have been fair to the girls like i i get the i get lena's argument that she wants her children to be raised in their homeland and not in this city where they will forever be strangers yeah that that's legit I was just thinking of Damien as that song from Halton, You Will Never Be Satisfied. He Will Never Be Satisfied. <laughs> mm-hmm. I really do feel sorry for him, and I don't know why, but yeah, I don't feel good about that. Okay, well, let us head back to who the Red Keep, and as the episode opens, we have um, Rhaenyra giving birth to her third child, a son, another son, who will not look like his father, and who will be named Joffrey after uh, the apparent father's former lover, so that's not weird at all. It's right. a gnarly birth, <laughs> and this all seems like a lot of very petty power plays, so the Queen, Alicent, demands to see the baby immediately after childbirth, which is right. just pulling a power play, so Rhaenyra pulls a reverse power play, kind of dragging her bloodied self with afterbirth hanging out to go with her son to see what presumably what the reaction is to the fact that he clearly is a bastard um, and to maybe hush up any overt criticism to her face doesn't seem that effective. There's a lot of very petty behaviour between the two women in this whole episode. It's quite phenomenal. It feels like the rumour that Lenore is not the father of these children has penetrated the entirety of the court. Kristen Cole certainly feels open to making very um, severe digs both at Rhaenyra and the father of the children, the actual father of the children, that is. Um, the You know, Alicent is very clear about what she thinks is going on and the fact that it's an insult to the crown, evidently wanting to have Viserys turn against his heir because he will then be passing on the crown through her to Barsis. Um, but Viserys seems to be still in his bubble of self-denial. Clearly he must know what's going on, but he, uh, you know, wants to turn a blind eye to it. 
And so we have this standoff between the two women, um, which expresses itself in the small council. Sidebar, why on earth is the queen on the side uh, on the small council and indeed why is Rhaenyra? But at least she's got more justification because she is the heir. And you just see their difference in style. Like, is it that Alison really doesn't give a shit about something that's broken out between the, the Brackens and the Blackwoods? And is it that Rhaenyra actually cares? Or is it just that whatever one was going to say, the other was going to overturn it? Probably the latter. So lots yeah. of very, very petty power plays between the princess and the queen, culminating culminating in what I thought was quite a masterful move from Rhaenyra offering to marry her daughter to Alison's son and therefore bring, bring the two branches of the house back together. That is if Alicent is happy for her son to marry a bastard. So there, there was other stuff going on in landing, but let's focus on this this relationship between the two women and see what you'll all think. Yeah, it was a very interesting relationship. I would say that I think the guys were also pretty catty as well, but the difference is that they can start punching and sorting each other, whereas the girls have to stay nice and not do that. I, I thought the, the ending pr marriage proposal scene was, was very uh, smart in terms of a political arrangement, but was also a calculated move on Rhaenyra's part, asking it in front of the small council, because if Alicent refuses, then you can sort of say, oh, look at me, I'm the wounded party, I, I made this offer, but perhaps she knew she was going to reject it. I am very sad that Alicent didn't take it, though, because even Viserys seems to think that it's a great idea. I honestly think she she wanted it to recon wanted to reconciliate. Honestly, I think yeah, yeah, that was my interpretation as as well. But as Alison says, maybe that's just because she thinks she's backed into a corner now with these rumors. But man, did it make me not uh, cool on Alison because like this is perhaps the last chance to mend the two lines together before war becomes inevitable. We talk now about how people think about feel about the two new characters or two new yeah new new characters how they are acted because. I have some feelings about Alison. The uh, actresses, you mean? Yeah. In so far as it bears on this, yeah, absolutely, because it, it will influence how far you take one side or the other or whether you interpret one as being sincere and the other as being fake, right? The acting okay. performance is very pivotal to that as well. You know, it's the writing and the acting is what we have. So go for it, Patrick. Yeah. What do you want to say? Okay, so I feel like we're getting shoehorned into one of the, the parties now. I think, um, I, I mean, I don't mind because I was always black, but I think Renera shows as being the most sympathetic character in this, mm -hmm. even though she's... She's not following the the morals of the of the the kingdom for sure. Alison, however, seems unlikable. I'm sor sorry to say, I I cannot, I, I don't like her anymore. I like I like the way she was played last time, last season, uh, last episodes, and I understood where she came from, and I still do, but it's just been taken to an overdrive and i know it's because it's uh, do you maybe... think that's the writing or do you think that's the acting performance specifically i think i think that's what the words that come out of allison's mouth is the writing and i think that's the problem it's not the micro acting it's it's, it's the the obvious choices that the director ha has taken that that sort of very heavy-handedly signals that she is going to be a villain in mm. this. See, I have another perspective on this, which is the only other thing I've really seen Olivia Cook in, who plays Alicent, is a recent adaptation of Vanity Fair, in which she played the off, you know, incredibly famous heroine Becky Sharp in English literature. And Becky Sharp is another quite interesting character because. She is a manipulative, maybe prostitute who is just cutthroat and greedy and wants money and is socially upwardly mobile and not to be trusted. But Becky Sharp is also incredibly charismatic and she is the heroine of the book. And you want Becky to succeed, even though her schemes are devious. She's so witty and vivacious and full of life and so smart, so much smarter than everyone else around her that you really want her to succeed. And I feel that Alison had elements of that, right? Because some of the stuff she does is really bad, but you should you should still be able to understand and empathize in some way with the choices that she makes to keep you engaged. Otherwise, it becomes lopsided. And I felt, having seen many versions of Hannity Fair, it's one of my favorite books, that when Olivia Cook 
played Becky Sharp, I almost couldn't watch it because she was so unlikable and so furish and so just mean and nasty and not at all kind of vivacious and mischievous and whatever. There were no redeeming features. And I do wonder if there's something in Olivia Cook as an actress that she cannot play shades. So I think the writing's at fault here too, Patrick. But I do very much wonder if it's the actor as well. That um, And it doesn't help that both, I think, the writing for Rhaenyra is better and I think the actress is stunning. I've not seen her before, but I think she's really fantastic. But curious to see what the rest of you think of Olivia Cook as an actress and the writing of both the princess and the queen. Well, thank you for bringing up Vanity Fair because I kept trying to think of, like Casey and I were talking about this on Dragoncast, where do I know this chick from? That's what it is. <laughs> That's been driving me nuts without looking it up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, it was bugging me too. I had to do a Google. I was like, oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it was that's what i know her from and it's basically um, the same performance i mean i and i watched it recently i binge watched it i think last weekend but just to see by happenstance and um, it's a very similar performance and they're not I don't know similar that, characters i think what makes allison right for this character and i like the writing the only reason that i like the first few episodes we got so far is and this is why i like a song of ice and fire in general there aren't really good guys and bad guys. There are people and people within their lifetimes can be both good and bad and do good and bad things. And so I do like the the back and forth of, you know, is Damon just a piece of shit or should we have sympathy? Is Allison just some drinking violet that that has no agency or is she a bitch? Like it's there are so many dynamics at play in human intrigue and I think to just have some paint-by-numbers standard, you know, you're supposed to root for the greens or you're supposed to root for the blacks is too simple and not what draws me into this series and into this world. So I appreciate that, you know, before we kind of saw Allison with a little more sympathy and now we're seeing her become, through circumstance, a little more cutthroat, a little more ruthless. And we're not sure if we should root for her or not. And I just think, you know, it's heading in a direction where, like Adam had put that poll up of who do you root for? And I've always felt this way about the dance is that I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I were in that world in a time, which but way do you go? But are you not go? sure purely on the basis of this TV show? So purely on the basis of this episode, do you feel it was balanced? Because I felt it was, like Patrick, I felt it was very caricatured pro-green. This, this one was more one-sided, but again, I, I can't say wholeheartedly Sorry, not, not pro -green, pro like who to root for. I feel that what you're describing is George, and it's what we fell in love with, and it's not what I'm getting from this episode. I agree with Bina that from this specific episode, this was very pro-Black, pro-Rhaenyra, and not nuanced enough. I do think it's it's a little bit of the actress actually, but I I have to I, I mean we'll see in the in the coming episodes. I might be wrong, but just yeah, she's very snarky. I don't I don't feel like they did a good job uh, making her human and helping us understand why she does what she what she does. I need to see the next episode. Oh. I need to watch the next episode to to determine whether or not. I just need to go full black and then just never go back or whether or not it's going to be like the seesaw between them and, and us, you know, not being able to determine because that's mm. half of the house's uh, dilemma, really. Like, that's the point, right? Is... <laughs> but, but, but I don't know. And I, it's been last episode. It was also slightly skewed towards Rhaenyra. And this episode is definitely skewed towards Rhaenyra in the in who's the most likable person. We had a relationship to the the last actress actress, so I'm giving giving the uh, I'm giving uh, the new uh, Alicent the benefit of the doubt and another episode to show that she is not a villain, but she sort of looks like one right now. <laughs> Right. Well, let's, can, let's go to the other elements of the story, because that might shed some light on things. I mean, we've got, interestingly, you see the development of a relationship with Kristen Cole. He seems to be just as spiteful as Alicent and, you know, goes. Right. 
yeah. Alice's son into basically beating up a defenseless kid, which is not particularly honourable. If his whole shtick the last mm-hmm. time we saw him was, oh, poor me, I have no honour. Well, this isn't particularly honourable either. So that's right. that's just like pretty despicable. And then we have her relationship with Lara Strong, which is fascinating because clearly he is the master manipulator. He was in the last episode and he is now. We can get into how, how far he went ahead and burned down Harren Hall uh, because he thought she wanted um, him to or because he wanted to and now has manipulated her into owing him a debt. I think it's the latter. And actually, my my conclusion at the end of this episode is that Alison thinks she's this powerful player, but she's not at all. She spent the first part of her life being manipulated by Otto and now she's being manipulated by Laris. So well done you. Whereas Rhaenyra actually yeah. is by far are the master mistress of her own fate and actually laris is the one who is pulling the strings so do you guys want to comment on the relationship with Kristen and also with laris david it sounds like you were chomping at the bit there with some commentary <laughs> yeah it's just i feel like it's interesting where they're going with both uh Kristen and with alicent here in that on some level i don't see where this i mean i I guess we saw last week where the animosity was coming from but it it feels like so much more and i mean i think that's part of the problem with the time jump in that we're not seeing what's happened in those 10 years to get them where they are and something i'm 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 interested in if this is meant to be a motivation is that in an interview i was reading just before or i think it came out just before the last episode aired um the Alicent actress, Emily Carey, has a comment in the interview, which I had found interesting and I didn't catch at the time. I only I read this like a couple, like yesterday. And where she says that one of the reasons she felt betrayed was that she said that, that she, that her character, one of the reasons she was upset with, um, with Renera is that, that is that she slept with him and that she, that she meaning Alicent was in love with him. And I wasn't clear if she was hinting at Kristen or Damon, but I think it was meant to be Kristen. So was that, did anyone see that? Like, I, I think get she was getting at, I'm wondering if that's part of what's bringing this, like, especially with the two of them getting so close now and like, you know, and, and being so bitter and angry, if there isn't something unofficial, at least behind the scenes going on between the two of them, is I that what they were going I fail. You know, whenever we're having to look at showrunner interviews and actor and actress right. interviews, right. figure out what's going on, that's a fail. If, if, ever, if there's jealousy, I think it's less about a specific person than, oh, I fancy Damon, you slept with him, or I fancy Kristen, you slept with him, than the very idea of sexual agency. I think it's more jealousy that I have to shag Viserys and have his kids, and I have no sexual fulfillment in my life whatsoever. And you're going off being very sexually independent and being sexually fulfilled. And there's envy there. And she's enjoying her sex life. So I I feel that even now in this episode, basically, she's flaunting the fact that she's getting good dick in front of Alicent. And Alicent doesn't like it because she is not. But I mean, is she really? But to be be fair, is she? I mean, it's not her fault how the babies come out. Like... What I mean, in what way is she flaunting? I mean, I think she feels that she's flaunting. I think Alison feels that Renera is, but I don't feel like she oh, is. Oh yeah, no, I don't way. think Renera. I don't think Renera is flaunting anything. I just think that ultimately right. Alison is very jealous of Renera because she knows that Renera right. has taken a lover and is sexually fulfilled, and she is not. And she's been in this marriage now for ten, ten plus right. years, and. Right. The only sexual partner she's probably ever had is with Sarah. So she's probably never had an orgasm. So yeah, she probably is bloody <laughs> yep. pissed off and frustrated at this point. And she's seeing Renera I... basically having fun. Right. And if you had Fabian Frankel in front of you, Kristen Cole, you, you I'd I'd be a little <laughs> I'd be a little um repressed and upset and frustrated myself. But in any case, I guess I'm just like I'm wondering if they're going for that and if that is going to develop any further if it's just meant to be subtext because at least the actress from at least the first Allison actress seemed to think that there was subtext there and I I didn't see that so I'm wondering if anyone else picked up on anything there I need to rewatch the uh, episode where Kristen Cole is introduced because mm-hmm. other than that they don't get any scenes together really other than the last yeah. bit so. Right. So I don't I don't know if it's done if it's meant to be like that then it's poorly done sadly. Yeah, I agree. So, here's the biggest subtext that I've got and I I touched on it last week in Dragoncast but I I have to say I think you're all coming down a little hard on Alicent and perhaps like you said Patrick I and I could be wrong but this is what I think it's meant to be and perhaps it is poorly done but I have the context of the books 
I believe the scene when Otto is dismissed and leaving King's Landing and the conversation he has with Alicent is very critical to her motivation in the story. I think it plans a seed of terror that grows in her. Even if she wants to support Rhaenyra and support her claims, will the lords of the realm allow her to do that? They could use her children as pawns in a Game of Thrones. And the more missteps Rhaenyra takes and the more wild oats Rhaenyra sows, it makes that more and more likely to happen. So if she is but someone that, that, that one conversation is doing carrying a lot of weight then, isn't it, Hannah? Right. And I would say well, that, I, so, you know, I think I'm Sarah, thinking, Dr. Blood, said it on the Discord where she said, you know, she's becoming a self-fulfillment prophecy right now. I mean, there, right. there is probably a right. world in which she could have bent the knee, pledged to support and been fine. But she's just becoming, she by her actions, she's becoming less and less secure. Well, like Lee says to Rhaenyra, will that actually be allowed to take place? If they want a man on the Iron Throne, they'll find a way to get it. They're not going to allow a woman to sit it. And I can yeah, see... has heirs now. Is that going to matter? I mean, and again... Yeah, the whole, the whole the presupposition was right. that she would have... The whole presupposition was that Rhaenyra would have male heirs, and therefore she could, if worse came to worse, reign as queen regent while her son came of age. Of course, now having bastards puts a bit of a spanner in the works. But, you know, Alison wasn't to know that at the time. I think she has seriously miscalculated. I think in her relationships with Lara Strong, she's shown herself to be basically tactically stupid. And yeah, I am coming down harshly on her in this show, not in the books, but in this show. I think they are depicting her as a lost little girl who is manipulated hither and thither and is playing the Game of Thrones incredibly badly. She's out of her mind with terror. And 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 she really, is... really, or is she just a narcissistic, petulant little girl? Like the way she goes, yes, but he would have been on my side on the council. I think that was the real Alison, wasn't it? Oh so. yeah, I, th- I I thought it would be. It was more like she wanted. She wants to feel like she has an ally, like a true ally. In any case, she's she's in her in her own world right now, not trying to check in with Rhaenyra and maybe even finding out that Rhaenyra has never really wanted uh, to oust. Alison at any time or her kids if she had tried to conciliate i think she would have found that it it would not have gone that way necessarily but yeah i uh... that paranoia doesn't come from nowhere we see Alison hearing these lords in the hunt call her son Aegon the second while he's a baby i mean she's been living under an umbrella of extreme paranoia and a very slippery sloped place for her to be and i think that over time that would have you deteriorate mentally and in decision making and try to balls up and 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 acquire power she's just doing a lot of you know she's it's miscues but i and perhaps i'm reading into it too much with the the book perspective but i i think that this is what i've always loved about the dance and it's what frustrates me about the dance is I don't think that there is a side that you can just come down and say like, well, they're right and they're wrong and you should root for this person because it's just such a complicated fucking thing. Viserys should have either not gotten remarried or he should have changed the succession once he had a son in an effort for political stability. And I'm not saying I agree with that misogyny. I'm just saying those are the parameters in the world that you live in. And how did you expect this to go down? Yeah, no, right? I don't disagree with you, Hannah, for the book. I'm just saying the show is a different beast. And the, the fact that the show is a different beast and a much more caricatured, simplistic beast is shown in the character of Lara Strong, who, frankly, for me, comes across as Count Rugen from The Princess Bride. I mean, he's doing nothing up other than twiddling his moustache mm-hmm. in this episode. It's, it's so I, badly done. Yeah. I, maybe, maybe she's like... Uh, maybe she's like... Uh, uh, Anakin, uh, she's you, as you say, she's paranoid. She has, she's already been put down in the the, the dark path, and she's sort of the Laris is trying to make take make decisions for her to get her beyond the path of no return. Um, yeah, I think think that's maybe the character I see because also there's a an 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 obvious uh, argument to say that the Sith or at least Anakin's point of view of the Jedi was not necessarily completely wrong. Uh, so, yeah, well, well, new canon for me, uh, head canon in this show at least. <laughs> She's Anakin. I would argue prequel right. Anakin was a poorly written character, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, then it fits even better. 
<laughs> I think they did a good job in the first few episodes to make her more likable, uh, Alison. I loved both young actresses, but I found Rhaenyra's actress to be a bit, a bit cold, a bit indifferent. That might have been the way she was written, and in, in, in which case she was very good at that. Whereas young uh, Addison was more warm and I was touched by her performance and her life and, and what, what she had to um, what she had to do with the older ones. I feel a bit the opposite. I, I loved, uh, absolutely yes. loved uh, Emma Darcy for Rhaenyra. And I think she's she, she, she's great and she, she brings brings something um, new and uh more nuanced actually to the character than um, the young actress did. But for Addison, for now, I don't see it. But maybe you write Patrick and they're going to do one episode uh, skewed in one direction and the other one, uh, the next one in the other, but I'm not sure. Considering yeah. what's likely to happen in the next episode, no spoilers, of course, I could see <laughs> next episode being a very pro-green or anti-black episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Or she's just gonna come in a come in in a like a, a, a suit with a breath mask and Darth High nope. Darth High Tower. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Are you disappointed in how Harren Hall played out and that it was not ambiguous at all? It was just very clear that Lara Strong did it. I was disappointed as well. I was hoping for more ambiguity. They've done. Laris of- was always my primary suspect, but even then, I think this was far too on the nose. You have like three or four scenes where they really narrow in your focus to go, "Oh, those were the guys. Those were the guys," and yeah. look at the sigils yeah. they've got. Like, the, the, there's not even an Easter egg for me to go find and make a video on about who burned down Harren Hall on YouTube. <laughs> right. <laughs> a thousand YouTubers, sadly. Well, not. I think that's also, that's also one of the differences between this show and the original story being a history and that, you know, in, in, the, in the books, remember, this is all done in third person as a history from a maester year, living later. Who would have actually known this? that you know exactly who did it and why that would have that you know that that maester would have had access to to be writing the history like it's probably in the real world i mean even in this world that we're watching on the show you know as we're seeing it how who would know who would know that Le- that Lenor did it you know i mean we all know not Lenor, i mean you know you know what I'm saying Laris did it we all we all know that because we're seeing him literally go to the people who did it and you know hire them to do it and we're seeing the consequences afterwards when he has this conversation you know with Allison which which obviously historians wouldn't have access to so I think that's just one of the differences in between in showing a drama and you know a history in that we've we are I think certain things that are a mystery in the books are are going to have to be really clear and pointed and and, and obvious because we're seeing it. <laughs> I, don't, no I don't agree with that. Actually, I think you can have different time, different type of narration in also in a in visual media, and it could have been like we don't need to have an omniscient narrator who knows everything, and we don't need to have explicit conversations about everything uh, with the it characters that we have. And different people could have been yeah. reacting saying god i yeah. thought laris did it oh well i thought it was this or wasn't it just this and it, they've done that really well in other parts of the series today where you show ambiguity and i just felt they that's a choice that's a real narrative choice to make laris strong the unambiguous villain in pantomime style and it speaks mm-hmm. to everything that i found more crude in storytelling terms than the book Am I the only one who was in doubt of whether or not Kristen Cole and Renera had been together, uh, just from the books? Uh, yeah, yeah I, uh, speculation and, yeah. you know, there's, I mean, there's strong rumors, obviously. Yeah. But... Oh, there's strong rumors, for sure. It didn't, <laughs> well, it didn't, it didn't bother me to see it be like, okay, yes, that's a thing. Um, so, what so I'm really point... hoping for is next yeah. week when Lenor is in Spice Town and gets stabbed, if they make that, Damon, then I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. If they, I mean, they throw Damon, like, paying Carl to do that, Carl Craig, I'm going to be fucking pissed off. Yeah, I mean, I think this just shows that this show wants to tell it you make it make it in make it very obvious what's happening i think uh for me both uh laris 
killing his his family and uh, and Rhaenyra being with Christian Cole was always a question. I, I didn't know, didn't always I didn't think at all any time really that it was actual actually so, happened. Well, and, and Rhea, like her death <laughs> and Damon's yeah. involvement as well. Like, well, well, that that's different for me. But but though the two others at least well are. are so on the nose that I think it's it's sort of it is sort of bad. I mean, it isn't clearly a way to simplify the whole thing for them. Um, it's it's for sure easier to to show us something definite than to try and show show us different possibilities and and int uh, head stuff. And also, uh, if they want sex in sex scenes, they have to make it explicit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. I, I think it's a I think it's a bad choice. I agree, Patrick. I think uh, I would have preferred, but maybe that's just a book nerd in me. I would have preferred um, more ambiguity in both uh, who killed the Strongs and uh, did they actually do it? Yeah, like I, I really need an answer to Summer Hall. I don't know that I needed an answer to whether Christian Cole and Rhaenyra had had an affair, right? Like. <laughs> There's some what matters is that, that they loved each other. Like, that's really all that we needed to know. Or not even loved each other, but had a thing for each other both ways. I wouldn't even call it love. I think they're just united in spite. And united in yeah. judgmental, ho-faced, holier-than-thou judgment of Renera. Infatuation. Does, is that a satisfactory word? No, but, yeah. Michael, are you, are you saying... Um, fairness, are you saying Renera and Kristen Paul, or... Alex. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I, Kristen Cole. yeah, I yeah. agree. I, I think Rhaenyra and Kristen, we don't need to have them having, having sex. We don't need to have him ask her to be his wife and to go away. We just need to have them have something for each other and be, and be close, but we didn't uh, need to know how specifically. The funny thing is... Oh, sorry, yeah, I was talking about Alison and Kristen Cole yeah. now, clearly. Right, sorry. okay, yeah. that's different. Yeah, so so, right. yeah, so yeah. The, funny thing, the funny thing is... I actually think that that Allison's reaction now in the show is what I felt like Kristen Cole was like how he was acting in the books so disillusioned with with Rhaenyra and the uh, the image of this perfect princess uh, that that he sort of just completely went the other way without having sex with her just having this pe- uh, this princess on the pedestal and seeing that she well, enjoyed life and, and did not in necessarily want him, uh, yeah, without the sex. I think that's how I felt, like, that that um, that Alison's sort of almost too pious idea of what the realm is, is what he had. And that sort of soured him. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Mary, what was your final question? <laughs> Did we talk a lot about the kids? Maybe that there's not so much to be said uh, yet, but I, I did actually... Uh... Yeah, everything with them, just the whole dynamic, the bullying of Eamon's Aegon being actually a twat, like he's saying about his mother. <laughs> I was like, no, that's you, that's you, dude. It that it's not clear where they're gonna go, but I I was I was sad uh, that they're into this whole mess with is Lenor not our father thing. Um. So yeah, just yeah, that uh, was it was it was a bit, wasn't it? yeah. My biggest problem with the whole thing with all the kids is that with the time jump. We suddenly jump 10 years, and suddenly there's kids we've never seen before. And we didn't really get, I think, enough of an introduction. They tried to give some of it during the, you know, the whole jousting and dueling and the, you know, training montage there. But I feel like we didn't really get any of these characters all that differentiated initially, which is going to make it harder for us to relate to these characters when bad things happen to them. Because I, I mean, I still like wasn't yeah, clear yeah, like wait, who's whose kid. And... I mean, I think well, I think it's too early to make that judgment. We'll know more next right. week. I mean, they're not doing another time jump for a while, right? So we're going to spend some time. We don't know. Am I the only one that uh, noticed the kid that we didn't see? Oh, Daron. Daron, right? He should be born by now, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, I don't even know. Right. He's an easy People character to shut off. To the second yeah. season, if you had to. Yeah, there was that that idea, and also maybe maybe he's born, uh, he's, and maybe he's just um, like 
fostering at, at Old Town or something. Someone uh, suggested that. So, I mean, they could bring him back um, and introduce him later if they wanted to. Okay, I mean, I guess the reason why, well, subliminally, actually, liminally, I didn't talk too much about the kids is because I felt the kids weren't being interested in themselves. I mean, some of them were bullies and some of them weren't, whatever. Right. They're all just entitled pricks. Who gives a shit? Right. I felt they were. I felt they were more interesting insofar as they showed what the adults were doing to make mm-hmm. the points they needed to make. So, right. you know, Pup- Papa Strong was making the point that I want my kids to have access to the privilege that they are entitled to, and Kristen Cole was using them to make the point that hey, um, I know that you're their dad, and that they're just caught in the crossfire, aren't they? They're just, mm-hmm. you know, would I mean, yes, that kid's a prick. Would he have really beaten up his little? cousin uncle nephew whatever the fuck they are no probably not without the adults you know so i i just feel that i feel sorry for because kids are kids right at that age even if they're pricks that's not innate to them that's just what they've seen of the world and i i just Mm -hmm. feel they're they're vessels for others manipulations just as alison is arguably so i think once we've seen more of them we can spend more time with each of them because at the moment they don't feel that differentiated to me exactly and i really hope they do to your point david i really hope they do in next episodes but at the moment it doesn't feel required so Mm -hmm. i want to see helena more because she's Mm. (laughs) something (laughs) right Aegon certainly seems like a character as well i mean uh let's go in like not maybe not too much but the, the why did they have to show him doing right. that and, <laughs> um, I, I don't i don't know uh, it's it's weird and he's he's sort of an oaf do you anyone think that he instigated the whole pig flying pig thing or was it was no it Jace? but it was him and when mum asks he's like no 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 it was my cousins i swear mum yeah, but then again, I I I feel like he's so easily manipulated that he might as well just have gone with on with it with the other people. Uh, I'm, I'm I mean, with my on this. A practical joke. I don't think you can overread into it at this stage. And it wasn't particularly That's bad funny. as a joke. Like, they're not oh, it, was funny. it was funny. Yeah. I thought, shit, I was sorry, I would have done it. Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, and I was there for it. I really was. <laughs> I just thought it was quite innovative and inventive. The pig. I really thought that was mm-hmm. funny. I'm a bad person. <laughs> Yes, but yeah, so it's, not, it's not boying to me. I did appreciate the dragon pit scene, uh, where just you have no clear delineation of these kids into their factions. They were all just sort of having fun, mutually bullying Aemons, but you couldn't see the factions being drawn just yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I yeah. think Kristen just comes across as really bitter in this whole bit, like. It's like, it just, he seems, he comes across almost petty. Like, well, she dumped me, so now I'm going to, like, bully his, her kids. Like, <laughs> Oh, yeah, he sure. comes across as a title off that, definitely. You know. Eamon is already looking very bitter. Yeah. the He is, he is going to be a, a small, very bitter, very angry person that is uh, going to do some bad stuff. Mm-hmm. Having been bullied as a child is no excuse for being a psycho when you grow up. <laughs> True. <laughs> um, Bina, you you uh, meant to uh, impress on us uh, your knowledge of British history and Jane Grey and Mary and whatever. Someone asked and you said, I will talk about it on Wolfcare. Yeah, I wasn't planning to, but only because Stephanie asked about it on the Discord. Listener, do come and join us on the VOK podcast uh, Discord server. You can find the link on our websites and on the YouTube page and various other places because that House of the Dragons spoilers chat is alive and popping. And Stephanie was asking about um, the relationship of Alison to Queen Mary to Lady Jane Grey and the idea that Jane Grey was someone who was placed on the throne after the death of her cousin um, and was queen for nine days. She wasn't actually crowned and then was ultimately killed um, by a reverse coup or executed. I was going to say, the gist of it was that like Jane Grey did not want to be queen. There, these were a bunch of like scheming lords that were trying to put her in front of Queen Mary. And initially, <laughs> Queen Mary was like, I'm not going to kill this little girl. She, was, she had nothing to do with it. But then eventually she uh, felt that she had to kill Jane Grey for reasons, political pressure, I believe. Yeah, so I think Jane Grey was incredibly young and definitely was not, well, insofar as we know, given the paucity of Tudor historical sources, 
I think the common understanding is that she was very much a pawn. So if you believe that Alison was a pawn to Hightower, which I kind of think is probably where I land on this, then that there is an element of Jane Grey there. I think the difference is, is that Jane Grey never had the time to mature. She certainly didn't have kids. She was there for a very brief period of time. In terms of uh, Mary, I think you can always also make the argument that she was also influenced principally by the court of her husband, um, the Spanish king, and that this was all in the Reformation, right? So Mary was still Catholic, Lady Jane Grey was Protestant. And so this is all part of the battle of whether England was going to revert to Catholicism or was going to remain Protestant. Mary was older and certainly had more agency, for sure. But I still think she was ultimately, there was a limit to how far she could act independently. Like if she hadn't have wanted to kill her cousin, I'm not sure she would have been able to get away with that. And the reason why I think that this is very unjust and why she was forced into killing her is because if you look at the later example of Queen Elizabeth I, whose cousin was Mary, Queen of Scots, and they, I think there's good evidence that Elizabeth I had respect for Mary, Queen of Scots. And really did not want to kill her. I mean, really, really resisted pressure and resisted pressure and resisted pressure, even though Mary Queen of Scots would sort of whip up rebellions and then her husband would whip up rebellions. And it was just all a shit show. But ultimately, ultimately, by the end of her life, and when Mary Queen of Scots was fleeing Scotland and sought shelter in Northern England, Queen Elizabeth did have her killed. And I think that was very much under the influence of her courtiers. You know, Queen Elizabeth, an unmarried monarch, no direct heirs. Um, Mary Queen of Scots had children. Um, but was Catholic. And I think if, if someone even as popular, as powerful, as aligned to powerful interests of state as Queen Elizabeth I could not resist that pressure to kill Mary Queen of Scots, then how on earth was Queen Mary going to resist the pressure to kill Lady Jane Grey? So maybe I'm arguing against myself because now it sounds like Alison was right to be paranoid and this was only going to end one day. Right, right, right. <laughs> Daniel, <laughs> Stephanie! <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's the history. But apologies to anyone who knows the history that I just uh, butchered. Any right. other questions, thoughts, comments, feelings about this episode? The one thing I think is was really interesting that came out of this is that remember the one big complaint that so many people had before the show even aired about this show and particularly some of the more toxic fans had about why the Valerians are black? And I think that it was really amazing and awesome that it turned out to be a very major plot point, you know, because obviously now the parent, it makes it more obvious why the parentage of these kids is in question. And thus it becomes actually very important. So the thing everyone complained about turned out to be there was a very good reason for them to make that choice besides just the concept of diversity. Allison, once she gets the baby, she pulls the swaddles back to see the hair. You know, I, yeah, I like this is, that. This is Martin genetics, isn't it? Oh no, <laughs> right, right. this is black hair. We're back right. in Robert Baratheon <laughs> times. It's just hilarious. That's so funny. All of these characters of color have been excellent actors. And I think the, the number of complaints that was there before the show and is there now has just plummeted. Or I certainly don't see it on the parts of the internet I go to. So, you know, if if the actors are just good at what they do, like, people won't complain. Yeah. Well, I feel like we're getting it more in the Tolkien verse and the Tolkien communities. It's still a bit more toxic there. Um, I like how the Valerians are not the only people of color we've seen in the green slash black wedding. We saw a lot of guests that were of uh, various peoples of color, and I, I appreciated that. I, I, I hope that Bridgerton is setting a strong precedent for just cast it and have diversity and it doesn't need to be black or white it can be a rainbow and it and it will be beautiful if you've got talent and people can just grow out of caring if we have enough content as you know future generations grow up under this being normalized i think there's a big hope there for our society and i love it indeed well that happy note i think we'll uh, we'll wrap this up with a mighty aru this was a very chaotic aru i was gonna say but i think that's on brand i feel that's brand for right king's grave yep well listener i hope you enjoyed that discussion that was feisty and um i feel it's a pivotal episode right we go into the back five it's a new cast and we have to wait and see how it all plays out but we hope you're enjoying this 
and do come join us on the discord and in the meantime have an amazing week until the next episode bye